Father, we thank you that you, we can declare this evening that in you we have our life and we have our everything. We thank you for this time that we could come together as your called out ones to worship you, to praise you, because we long to see you high and lifted up. We pray, Lord, that you would receive our praises and our worship, that they could be like a sweet-smelling scent unto you. As we focus our hearts now on, on your word, Lord, we ask that you would continue to minister to us now, because we eagerly desire to have your kingdom come in our hearts and in this world as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, good evening. Nobody said that, eh? <laughs> Welcome to our service this evening. So great that you guys could join us this evening. Um, okay, so last week we, we looked at how Jesus told his disciples that they should go out and make disciples of all nations. And we looked at Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 and what mission is. We kind of engage with that. Now, a very big part of mission, of making disciples, concerns actually telling people, actually using words to tell people the message of the gospel. And this work of declaring the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus is the primary ministry of the church towards the world. That's our main deal in terms of our approach to the rest of the world. And so we must tell people that the kingdom is here and it's starting to break out. That's, we must do that. And this action of telling people the good news is what we call evangelism. Now evangelism, evangelism is speaking to anyone, anywhere, anytime and telling them the gospel. Now, you don't have to succeed at evangelism. Um, evangelism is happening even if somebody isn't getting saved in that moment. But you need to say it. We need to engage in evangelism. <clears throat> but mission is much broader than evangelism. Um, while evangelism may be seen as just sharing the gospel with someone, maybe in a conversation or a talk, or drama, or some kind of presentation, mission is kind of viewed as something that is more long-term and more extensive. And mission includes the journey of discipleship and being present in a particular place for a season, for a period of time. This is what Paul says about sharing the gospel in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 7. He says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, 
and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But now for us, evangelism shouldn't be seen as the primary purpose for our gatherings when we come together on a Sunday. Because when the church assembles for worship in the way that we are now, it kind of wouldn't be right to have our only weekly gatherings devoted primarily again to evangelistic purposes. Our gathering here has also got a different purpose. And that is why Jesus sends people out. He sends disciples out into Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and all the ends of the earth, because for the most part, people who need Jesus aren't coming to church. And so we need to go. That's what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And so this evening, we want <clears throat> to look at the start of Jesus' ministry and Jesus' mission, and when he called the first disciples to follow him. And we will focus on what it means to be a fisher of men by responding to Jesus' call to become a follower of him. And so we're going to read again from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Now the context of what is happening here is that Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist. He had gone into the desert and he was tempted there by the devil. And he then starts to proclaim the message of the kingdom of heaven coming. And then he calls the first disciples to follow him. And this is an account of that. So it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee on the shore there, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Other versions will say, I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, in these few verses, we see <clears throat> the Apostle Matthew's account of the story that is told in the other books as well, in Mark. It's also told in Luke and in John with different emphasis on, on different aspects of how it went down. And some give more details, others are more to the point. But what happens here is Jesus promises evangelical fruitfulness to those who will follow him. He promises them that. He says, I will make you a fisher of men. And, and this is a promise that Jesus is making which challenges me to think about how closely I am following Jesus if I am not making fishes of men. I need to wrestle with that because Jesus promises me that if I follow him, he will make me become a person 
who calls and who draws other people into his kingdom. Now, as we look at these few verses, I'd like us to ponder on this analogy that Jesus uses here of fishing. <clears throat> and then we'll come back to these few verses that we just read. Now, that there is a picture of this guy who I know who uh, quite enjoys fishing. Now, when I go fishing, um, there are three things that I always take into account when I get to the beach. The days of me rocking up at the beach, tying a piece of dead meat to my hook and throwing it at anywhere are long gone. So when I get to the beach, there are three particular things I break down kind of that I always need to take into account. And I've learned over the years that there's actually a fair amount of skill involved in actually catching fish. So what I'll always do is I'll try to read the beach. Now, when you get to the beach, you kind of, you have a look at the water and see what the water's doing. Now, you need to think about what's happening beneath the waves. So I'd look for where there are sandbanks, where there are higher parts of sand, where there are deeper sections, where the water might be a little bit deeper, where there's a possible rip current. Um, I also look at the color of the water because the color of the water also tells you something about what's going on in the water and where the fish might be. And then there's the kind of bait that I would use on the bottom right-hand side there. That's, a, that's just a normal sardine bait. And on, in the right-hand uh, the bottom right there, I'm actually holding a worm. And those are worms that we actually find on our beaches. It's about as thick as your thumb and as long as your arm. You just got to know where to look to find these beach worms. But they are there. <coughs> you see, it's one of those things that involves skill. And then, there's, and then there's also, of course, the timing. You don't just get to the beach at any point in time and just cast your line and hope for the best. You actually need to take note of what the tides are like. Is it high tide? Is it low tide? Is it maybe a neap tide? Was there a spring tide? What has it done to the conditions in the water? So you need to take all of those things into account and then make a decision about where you'll start and where you'll finish and how your day will pan out. Now, all of this has nothing to do with the kind of fishing that Jesus is talking about. <laughs> Okay, Because in biblical times, there were three types of fishing that people who fished engaged with. They were all net fishing. So there was drag netting where there was this long flat net and some people would be on the end and some people would be on this end and they would drag the net through the water and they'd catch fish. And then there was um, cast netting where you have a net where you would actually cast it into the water, the net would fall and catch whatever's there, and then there was trammel netting, which is still actually used today on the Sea of Galilee for the small um, bit of commercial fishing that still happens there. The concept of using bait like this, something to attract people to the gospel, is a, is a biblical concept that is mentioned in Matthew chapter 17, but it's not the kind of fishing that Jesus is talking about here. It's completely different. The kind of fishing that is envisioned in this text 
wasn't line fishing, but it was net fishing. We see there the use of the words. They left their nets. They cast their net into the sea. They were mending their nets there in verse 21. Um, the kind of fishing, now I, what I like to do is nothing like this kind of fishing that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about finesse. Now there's that fly fishing where you actually, guys have this um, very light fishing line and they look so fancy. It's not that. That's not the kind of fishing that Jesus is talking about. Or using bait. What Jesus is talking about here has got nothing to do with hooking the believer and drawing them in. It's not that. Now it's also important to note, I think, as we think about this, that fishing with a rod and baited hook, like the kind of fishing that I do, actually gets you different results in terms of fishing. So when I go fishing, because I use that kind of fishing, I can actually target a specific kind of species. So if I, example, want to target a shark, then I, which I don't do quite regular because you can't really eat a shark. But um, a shark bait would be large, and it would be just a ball of bloody meat on a very large hook. And so when I cast that kind of bait, I know that I can expect to catch that kind of fish. And if I went for something smaller, I'd use maybe a little bit of muscle on a small hook, and that would catch, again, a different kind of fish. But fishing with a net, the kind of fishing that Jesus is referring to here, will catch whatever fish is in the zone where you cast your net. You won't get the pleasure of being selective about the kind of fish that you want to catch. And so also I think in using this imagery, Jesus wants us to see that we must reach all nations, not just the particular kinds of people who we may feel comfortable with, who we may just want to be the ones who we spend time with. He wants us to cast our net everywhere. And the picture is also not a picture of individualism or an individualistic kind of fishing. The point is not one person being reeled in and then that's it. There ought to be a continuous working of bringing people into the kingdom. And then with net fishing, as you can see in this picture here, there's also the fact that teamwork is required. It's never a one-man show. It always takes a team of people to be involved in the kind of fishing that Jesus is talking about. Now, I think in Jesus making this kind of analogy about fishing and calling these men to become fishers of men, he might be referring to these points. <clears throat> There is the difficulty and the strenuousness of evangelism, of actually sharing the gospel. Because the kind of fishing that Jesus is talking about is hard work. Unlike the fishing with a rod, which is often mocked as a way to relax, so you've got these little bumper stickers about people going to the beach and drinking or whatever it is. The kind of fishing that Jesus is talking about is labor-intensive. Secondly, there is a greater requirement on work ethic rather than skill required. Being a hard, diligent worker is more important 
in this kind of fishing than having lots of skill. And then thirdly, some are really good at it, but it's something that anybody can do. Some people have what we would call the gift of evangelism, and so they might be better at it, but anyone can play a role in this kind of ministry. We know we've got a, uh, pictures up there on the wall about the missionaries that we have, missionaries that we want to send out. Nate just got back from some mission work. And so there's always something that we can engage in, whether it be support or actually physically responding in our own sense. <clears throat> Fourthly, we must have persistence and dedication to the task, often in, in sight of, of minimal results. You cannot give up midway through with fishing. Fishing is something that requires a lot of patience, and very rarely do you see an instant result. I think in the years that I've fished, there's only one occasion that I can remember getting to the beach and being done within 15 minutes because I caught like four or five fish in one go. The school just happened to be moving past. That hardly ever happens. Um, and then also, fishermen learn how to deal with the disappointment and so choose to learn from it rather than to sulk. Number five, the church is a fishing boat, not a cruise ship. It's about, you know, when you, um, I think Chloe's on a cruise ship right now in the, where is it? Somewhere? Where is she now? But anyway, she's on this massive cruise ship, and her status every day is just the parties that these people are having, and it's all just fun. Cruise ships are about three things. They are about convenience, comfort, and safety. This is not that kind of ship, okay? We are not on that kind of boat at church, you are not there um, only for yourself and to enjoy yourself. You are here for others as well. And then number six, Jesus invites us to go fishing, not hunting. There's a difference between the two. You know, fishing, I think, requires gentleness and respect, while hunting requires you to completely subdue whatever it is that you are after. So Jesus calls us to be fishermen, not hunters. And then the last thing that he references there, I think, is the infinite value of the catch. You know, when someone has come in, there's this immense joy um, that we experience and this excitement that we actually have achieved some kind of success. Now, coming back to the, the text um, that we read earlier from verses 18 to 22, we see Jesus there having called Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And Peter and Andrew were possibly in the fishing business. They were commercial fishermen. And they were possibly in, in business with James and John. And so Peter, Andrew, James, and John had probably been following Jesus around for weeks or maybe even months in advance. And so there would have been a few encounters with Jesus beforehand that led to this moment that we read about here where Jesus says, 
follow me. And I think they would have had a lot of time to do that because in biblical times, fishing was done only at night. They didn't do fishing in day, in the daytime. And so they would have had their days to follow Jesus around. And there would obviously have been this, this not an uproar, but people would have been talking about this awesome teacher who's moving around. And so they would have had engagements with Jesus and heard him preach and teach before this actual moment that Jesus says to them, come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Now, with the understanding that Jesus had probably been building up a relationship with them, you can actually cross-reference it with John chapter 1 from verse 35 onwards. Jesus had actually been building up a relationship with them. This wasn't just a... A, a, a spark in the pan kind of thing. There had been time spent in his presence leading up to this moment. And what we see there actually is Jesus doing mission. If we read behind what actually is being um, communicated to us here, we see that Jesus had actually, he had immersed himself in that space. He had incarnated himself there. He spent time with people. He spoke to them, he ate with them, and he told them that they were his own. Now in verse 18 there we see Jesus, he goes looking for these people to follow him. Jesus is a seeking God, looking for those who are lost. And so Peter and Andrew were already disciples as we see in John chapter 1, if you go there and read through that. But here Jesus actually makes a formal call to them. And so we see Jesus going to look for people to follow him. Which is interesting because in biblical times, if you wanted to study Torah um, with the idea of perhaps going into Jewish ministry, then you would need to approach a rabbi and you would inquire if this rabbi would allow you to study under him. And then there would be a period of time where the rabbi would actually sit with you and he'd follow you for a short period of time to decide whether or not you actually are the kind of person who he would want following you. And then only if you were made of the right material would he then allow you to become a disciple of his. And so what Jesus was doing here was going against the grain because he didn't wait for people to come to ask him if they could follow him. He went and invited people to come and follow him. And so Jesus issued invitations, not applications. And so this to me is actually quite an encouraging thought. To think that God is a God who comes looking for me. He doesn't just leave you where you are at. He actually comes and inquires of us. And this also models for me the fact that we need to be more intentional about finding those who are not yet in the space where they can call themselves followers of him. And so I think how many of us would be sitting here if someone didn't come looking for us? <clears throat> in verse 19 there we see how radical Jesus was because what Jesus is saying here is drop whatever it is that you are doing 
and follow me. And so there's a cost involved here. I think if Jesus were here in today's times, I wonder what kind of questions we would ask ourselves when, I mean, last week we just thought about what it would mean if someone came up to you and said, follow me. We'd probably think about, now, how long is this going to take? Is this like all of my time or what? Um, what is it going to cost me? Is it just me coming along with you? Are you going to cover my costs? Or do I have to sort myself out? We wonder, how is this going to make me look? You know, we always wonder about what our social standing might be if we were seen with this person. And what are we going to say to our friends? What are we going to say to our family? Those are some of the things that the disciples would have been thinking about coming up to the point of time where they actually responded to Jesus' call to follow him. And those are some questions that some of us have wrestled with before and some of us still are wrestling with in terms of what it means to be a fisher of men in terms of being a follower of Jesus. It's not a call that you can simply deal with It's not the kind of thing where you can help out today and tomorrow you can clock out and then carry on with your life. It's the kind of commitment that's going to take everything from us. The call to follow Jesus is not ultimately only about us because Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In that statement, there is more than just us mentioned. There are men and women other than ourselves involved in what it means to actually saying yes to Jesus when he calls us. There's a saying that goes, the gospel has come to me on its way to someone else. There's also this um, quote that is, I've heard many a times um, by John Piper that speaks about missions. This is what he says about missions. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, Missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. You know, Jesus makes his call to us very uncomplicated. There are no terms and conditions when Jesus calls us. He makes all the decisions and the opportunities and all we need to do is follow. We do the following Jesus does the making. He doesn't call people who are skilled and really good at what they do. He calls anybody. Even people who think they aren't really good at anything. And the more closely we follow him, the more we become like him, and the better we become at fishing. And so as we follow, we need to have more confidence, I think, in what God can do, and less confidence in what we can do. Because when we look at this text, we see that Jesus has called them away from doing something that they were really good at. 
They were really good fishermen. I mean, this was their occupation. And so because they were stepping into foreign waters, as it were, they needed to rely completely on Jesus because they didn't know anything about this fishing for men business. The need to follow him was greater than working out how this fishing of men business worked out. And we need to take a note there about that. Because it's not about the the abilities that we have now or will have in the future, but rather about what God can do in you and through you today. And so again, I think we need to have more confidence in what God can do and less confidence in what we can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are able to turn us into something that we are not. That you are able to take us from where we are And you are able to move us into something that we couldn't even believe or conceive. And Lord, we thank you that you create space for us. That there is room at the inn with you. We thank you, Lord, that even though it might feel like we are unable to be involved in evangelism or mission, that we can't do what you call us to do, that you are able to work in us and through us, that it's not about our ability, but it's about what you can do through us. And all we need to do is to follow you. So Lord, continue to work in our hearts as we continue to wrestle with what it means to be a follower of you and what it means to be fishers of men and women in a time in the history of the world where people don't want to hear that message. Continue, Lord, to reveal more of yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.